Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. The star-spangled trio of Esther McCarthy, Gene Smullen and Fanola Jones uh, join us once again. Good afternoon to you all. Hello, how are Hi, you? Hey, you're all there. That's, uh, that's good to hear. Uh, we, we'll start with Eugene. Tell us, uh, give us a brief soupçon of what wines we're going to be tasting today. It's a look at the forecast. It's barbecue weather. So I've got two super wines from Lidl that are perfect for to go with anything you're going to barbecue in the, bar, the, in the back garden this weekend. Although it is a little bit cold. I was out there earlier and I came in because it's just that be a bit chilly. But just the wines will be great to go with it, but even if you're standing there freezing your butts off. Right. Okay. Well, hopefully people won't be uh, freezing their butts off, and they're both very. It's 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 two old favourites, really, in in terms. of... Oh yeah. Variety. I mean the varietal wines. So basically, what they are are they're they're great varieties. Um, there's Pinot Grigio and Merlot, and I mean you know those are the, the sort of they're usually the wines that everybody started their wine drinking experience with. So uh, and they're both lovely. So it's grand. Yep. So right. that's. Do. Handy dandy. And uh, Esther, at least one of the films I've heard of in advance, that being Stowaway, uh, the other one I, I know nothing of, but I, it struck me when I read about Stowaway that that's actually the plot for the TV series Lost in Space. Is it, yeah? It is, yeah. I've it's never like seen that. Zachary Smith stows away up, uh, 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 upon the Jupiter 2, sending it off course, etc., etc. Okay, okay. Mm. I think that's part of the problem here with Stowaway, which I actually quite enjoyed uh by the way, but I think that we've seen so many stories told like this before and space stories in particular in recent years told really well. I know Gravity, for example, wasn't everyone's bag, but you can't deny the immersiveness of the experience mm. of watching it. I remember I was like, well, you came out of the press screening for Gravity. I had to hold on to the wall walking down the steps. <laughs> I was like, God, yeah, backwards. That remember was that, that was a movie that you had to see on, on a big screen. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Remember those. Yeah. Um, And then like First Man from last year, I really loved as well. And I thought it really gave that experience of what it must be like essentially going to space in a huge tin can <laughs> that's held together by lots of fancy things um, and it really ca- caught the craziness of that I think so that was uh, when I was watching Stowaway I was kind of thinking of those films going it's hard at the moment to do something original with a story that's set in space I think we've seen them done so well and so often but this has a good go I think and um, it definitely in the first hour really builds up that dramatic tension as well and the discovery spoiler alert lads but like you can see the name of the film um there's a stowaway on board <laughs> and it's a three-person crew they're on a mission to mars it's a long time for someone to find themselves in a, sp- in a spaceship by accident sean because their mission's set to last two years yeah um but what this does really well i think is the moral dilemmas that come with the complication of having a fourth person on board right because okay. the takeoff doesn't go too smoothly there and they there are problems with it so there's a whole big moral dilemma very character driven this one which I quite liked about it as well okay well I suppose it's, it's probably a limited amount of actors inside said tin can yeah you have to give them you, yeah they get screen time and they get developed yeah and how they each respond to this situation as well is really interesting because yeah. You know, if you're not working together up there, guys, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's, uh, and black to overcome. black bear is it about a bear? Uh, well, there's a bear in it. Okay, uh, that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> this is a complete mind melter. You know, when someone says something is Kaufman esque 
or Lynchian mm. when they actually don't know what the hell they've just watched. I would say this is very Kaufman-esque and very Lynchian, John. Um, it's got Aubrey Plaza from Parks and Recreation in it. She's the lead. Um, she is uh, a woman, a writer who goes to this um, to stay with her f- friends of friends um, uh, in, a, in a kind of writing retreat. Uh, she, you know, she's she's lost her ability to tell stories and all sorts of crazy stuff happens. And then about 45 minutes in, the, the film takes a complete pivot, which we'll talk about later, and is completely mad, mad American indie. This one, it caused a stir in Sundance. Um, it will divide people. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it lost me towards the end a little, but it will deeply frustrate other people because its actual premise is to, to cheat the viewer essentially oh um, which is a very risky thing to do you want to know what you're doing there you know yeah that kind of oh feck off kind of feeling um where you want to actually Some people swear it that f- way yeah. yeah 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 okay that's an, that's always an interesting take uh, 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 when they try mm. that uh, and uh, speaking of sci-fi or i suppose would you would you categorize avengers movies as, as sci-fi i don't really know uh, but uh, apparently there's a move to try and bring back uh, iron man finola Yes, and can I just say, when we're talking about movies, at least partially or fully set in space, I can't believe Esther didn't name check Space Jam, the best space movie of all time. <laughs> okay, sorry, it's it's up there. My yes, fave. In the Spacey Awards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if, there, if such awards exist. Um, yeah, so there's this kind of role group of fans are petitioning to have uh, Robert Downey Jr. back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, there is going to be a spoiler here, just if anyone hasn't seen Avengers Endgame, but I will also say the movie came out two years ago, so not really yeah. my problem. Um, he met his end in that movie, um, quite controversial. Well, not controversial, but I think obviously a fan favorite as Iron Man. Um, so a group of fans uh, took out a billboard in Los Angeles uh, petitioning for him to return. It said, for our beloved hero, please bring back Tony Stark with the accompanying hashtag, hashtag bring back Tony Stark to life, which I don't think is grammatically correct. That's key, but, quite anyway. redundant, actually, yes. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, it, it comes, like, as I said, the movie came out two years ago, so I'm not sure if this is something to co- coincide with an anniversary. Um, Marvel have said from the off that they have no plans to bring him back as they go into this, like, third phase of the cinematic universe. Um, and Robert Downey Jr. himself has said... Like, he's had a good 10-year run, um, but he's not coming back. He said it was hard, and he dug deep for it, in inverted commas. I'm sure playing a multimillionaire entrepreneur is digging deep, but um, said he was creatively satisfied, and he's not coming back. So I would ask Marvel fans to step down, probably, at this point. Yeah, and it, it is just like Marvel to hang on to their artistic integrity and not trying to make another few billion. Mm, right. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, uh, um, it's almost annoying uh, how, how principled they are. Uh, I wonder, is it just because he won't do it? I'd say there's probably an element of that, but who knows? Like, I'd say if if we maybe further down the line, they'll definitely bring him back. But I think they're going to focus on whatever's happening with this, this third phase now and like the next tour and what they're doing on TV and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see what they, what kind of mechanism they come up with to try and bring him back to life. Um, uh, which will be, again, it was kind of like what Esther was referring to, where you go, oh, God, you've got to be <laughs> kidding me. Time travel again. Right. Uh, somebody, somebody has te- uh, as t- Gene, somebody has texted in, uh, Jim has texted in to say, there are Hungarian wines now. I think that's been for the past few thousand years. Oh, God, yes. I mean, two, the, the two wines that we're actually trying today are both from Hungary. 
And that part of Europe, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, are very much becoming go-to regions uh, or countries um, for sort of very good value wines. And um, certainly we're seeing a hell of a lot more of them in the supermarket shelves. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, there's, uh, Hungary makes absolutely fabulous wines. Um, you know, but I mean, the, the ones we have are great, are varietal wines. So they're basically just grape varieties. They're French grape varieties. In fact, both of them um, that are being grown there. Uh, but the uh, traditional Hungarian wines are are, are, are very, very good. Um, they make some superb like premium Chardonnays. And I've lucky enough, been lucky enough to go to both Hungary, Romania and Bulgaria in the last in recent years. And the wines are absolutely amazing, but yeah, but these are these are, these are ones for the supermarket. Yeah. You know? So tell us about tell us about our first one then, Jane. Okay. Um. Well, the first one is the these these are a new range uh, that Lidl have brought in, and they're simply called Vineyard Pinot Grigio or Vineyard Merlot. Now they actually have five wines in the range. They have a Pinot Grigio, a Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, a Merlot, and a Cabernet Sauvignon. And they're all priced at $4.99, which is very competitively priced. Now, these are part of the Lidl everyday range, which means they're going to be available all year round. And, um, you know, they're, they're basically entry level. They're, they're perfect for anybody on a budget or anybody who just says, you know what, this weekend I fancy a glass of wine with the burger or the steak or whatever you're going to throw on the barbecue. And this will fit the bill absolutely perfectly. Now, out of the range of five, I actually picked two grapes. I picked the Pinot Grigio and the Merlot. And the Merlot because we just don't see a huge amount of Merlot anymore. And it used to be incredibly popular and very fashionable, particularly in the 1990s. You get a huge amount of chili and Merlot. But, you know, it's kind of faded into oblivion. So, you know, the only Merlot you really see these days is from Bordeaux. And even then, it's not on the label. They don't say it's actually Merlot, but a lot of the Bordeaux we drink are actually predominantly Merlot. Huh. But it's grape I actually love. But anyway, we go back to the Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio is a very versatile grape. It's, believe it or not, it's the third most popular white grape variety in terms of consumer pre preference on the Irish market. I mean, Sauvignon Blanc is miles ahead. It's about 50% ahead of everything else by a country mile. Then Chardonnay, which surprised me, you know, um, but Chardonnay is number two and then Pinot Grigio is number three. But this grape actually, um, even though it's produced in, in Hungary, the original grape originates in the Alsace region in northern France. And it's in, 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 in France, it's called Pinot Gris. And the grape was originally a red grape. It was originally part of the Pinot family and it was Pinot Noir. And they crossed it with Traminer. So, uh, you know, traditional Pinot Gris that you would find in Alsace has a kind of a pink tinge. It's almost like it produces a wine that's almost a rosé colour. But um, it, it's planted all over the world at this stage, Pinot Gris. But what happened was about 10 years ago, the Italians um, who have Pinot Gris planted in Italy just used the Italian pseudonym for the grape, which is Pinot Grigio. And that became one of the big kind of go-to wines, particularly of the last decade. And everybody wanted Pino, Italian Pinot Grigio. And such was the success of Pinot Grigio that now everybody in the world actually labels it Pinot Grigio because they know people who are buying wine could identify much more strongly with the name Pinot Grigio than yeah. they do with Pinot Gris. So um, this Pinot Gris, Grigio is actually grown in, in Hungary. 
And um, and and the thing I like about Pinot Pinot Grigio is that that it makes actually a full-bodied white wine style. Now, if you get this in Italy, the the Italians don't like their white wines to have too much flavor, so they cold ferment everything and they strip all the color and the flavor and the alcohol out of the wine. And the other thing which I have to note about this wine is that actually the alcohol by volume is quite low. So if you're watching the calories or you're watching your alcohol intake, it's only 11.5%. So what you have here is, you know, and, and as I say, you can't miss it. The, the name of the grape variety is called Vineyard and the name of the grape variety is actually on the label. That's all it says. It just says Pinot Grigio in black and blue. But this isn't Italian style Pinot Grigio. This has a little bit more body. You can get a little bit of tropical fruit on the nose. And certainly there's a, a peachy kind of a melon character coming through. Um, and then when you try it, um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's got sort of pear drop flavors Um you know, it it, it, it it it's quite a neutral wine, dare I say, but I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm just saying it's a neutral wine, which means the big selling point is this is going to go with so many different food styles. So if you're barbecuing and you want to do piri piri chicken or anything with a spicy sauce, this will this, this will go very well with it. So um, and at four ninety nine, you can't go wrong. Indeed. Uh, right, uh, Esther. The uh, the uh, the, la- the the pushback on promising young woman uh, has already uh, begun. Uh, Sue says, "Watched promising young woman after last week. Not a bad movie. Carrie Mulligan ruined it. She doesn't fit or something. I think her voice is quite deep, and it bothered me or something. Lockdown has made me cranky. Maybe I hey, Sue. It's made us all cranky. Uh, but uh, Sue, you're not the only one. I think to uh, think she didn't quite fit the part. How did you feel, Esther? I thought, like, I had read uh, about the, the, you know, I think it was Variety Critic had, had said that and, and, and made a couple of physical re- references and Variety still have an apology for the offence to Kerry Mulligan on, on that review. I only saw it last week, which is head-scratchingly confusing to me, um, how someone can't express an opinion about someone being miscast, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I, so I kind of went in, I tried to go in with an open mind because I'd heard about that story and also... She's not an actor I've been mad about in other performances. Uh, and I thought she was really good in it. I thought it was um, an edgy piece of casting, actually. And I thought we haven't seen that from her before. And I thought she was great in it, I have to say. Right. Have you seen it yet, Sean? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, not yeah, yet. Uh, probably this definitely weekend. One. Uh, we'll have yeah, a it's definitely one. It's a big talking point. And, you know, the Oscars are on Sunday night as well. And I think Best Actress is a very interesting category because it's probably... You know, they've all been winning awards in the build up for three, you know, four of the five best actresses, um, including Carrie Mulligan, who got Critics Choice uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And the, the vibe now is that she could kind of make a late charge for, for best actress for that performance. Right. OK, right. So she's in with a shot for that. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, put your house on it. I said it, you know, yeah. so it's bound to be right. <laughs> and uh, just going back, Vanula, to um, the, the whole thing about Iron Man coming back and Robert Downey Jr. saying he's, he's happy to be out of it. Uh, somebody's texting it to say, I heard Robert Downey Jr. on a podcast last week and he talks about how happy he is to be out of the Marvel game and to explore new things. He's currently making a documentary about a documentary of his dad Two documentaries in one sounded bonkers, but interesting. Um, 
Can you, can you remember what was Robert Downey Jr.'s father's name? It's just it's just escaped me uh, at the moment. Mm, no. Was it was it's it a relatively unknown guy? I think so. Fergus or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, something like yeah. that. I think. Yeah, it's it's hard to grasp, but it might be. Anyway, it is about Robert Downey Jr.'s father. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Esther, that's a joke. Don't you be shouting in my ear what his name is. Uh, uh, Esther, what <laughs> movie would you like to do first? Let's do Stowaway. There's loads to talk about in Stowaway. Ask the twins next time, Claire. Right, we're talking about Stowaway after this. Okay. Exactly how much time do we have before it's too late? Technically, 20 days. Okay. Then we should take that time. No, we need as much of that margin of error as possible in case anything else happens. Margin of error? What hypothetical situation could be worse than the one we're in right now? Worst case scenario is he still dies, but we die along with him. How? What's left of the algae is hanging on by a thread as it is. So you're fine just giving up on a person oh, because so the so risk... Realistically, every day he's still here, it's a danger to all of us. I am telling you, Hyperion has anyone with a PhD down there trying to work this out. And they're not here! And maybe we can think of something that they haven't. Yes, Anna Kendrick there in space. No one can hear you scream. So uh, who is the stowaway in the movie, Esther? Um, he's played by an actor by the name, his name is Michael, and he's played by an actor by the name of Shamir Anderson, who is not an actor I've come across before, but is a very empathetic kind of um, presence and performance about him. He's a perfect piece of casting. He is the guy who's a really nice guy who happens to find himself in outer space. Uh, so what happened is like he... <laughs> so it's not deliberate um, or anything? No, no. Well, oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't reveal yeah. the hand there too early. Okay. Yeah, they question not. at one stage whether it might be, uh, let's say. But he is um, a launch support engineer and he's working on, uh, on this um, spaceship as part of the Hyperion program, space program. And he has an accident um, in the ship and they don't realise he's left the ship before launch. Um, so okay. he's knocked out. And this, right, okay. I thought you meant maybe he wet himself in, in, and he was too embarrassed to leave the spacecraft. Yes, okay. Well, I'd say he did wet himself when he came to and looked out of the portal. In one of the best scenes in the film, actually, there's a scene where he, he wakes up and uh, looks out the portal and sees the moon and goes, ah. oh my God, has a bit of a meltdown. Um uh, Anna Kendrick's character is the on-ship doctor, so she tries to get him calmed down. Uh, Tony Collette, one of my favourite actors, finally the captain of a spaceship. Hooray for that. That's worth your time alone. And um, Daniel Day Kim are the, the three um, astronauts on board. So they are presented, I suppose, with a whole heap of moral dilemmas. At first, it seems like it's going to go OK, because um, once Michael gets over the absolute shock of being... Um, in the boot of a car that's going towards space for two years. Uh, and once he gets a carer for, for his sister, who he has a responsibility to, he quite likes the idea. He had been thinking about applying for the program the following year. Um, so he's kind of going, well, I'm here now. I might as well make myself useful. He gets on quite well with the others on the ship. Uh, but here's the thing, Sean. Now, I don't want to get too sciencey, right? So mm. let's just say some spacey thing goes wrong. And there's been damage done to a thing called the CDRA. I have no idea what not that the is. CDRA. Oh no! Not the CDRA. Yeah. But it takes um, it takes carbon dioxide out of the air, and that has been damaged during the accident that um, Michael's character, Michael, was involved in, and the ship is running drastically low. 
in its support systems. So basically, there's only enough oxygen on board for three people, and that's at a push. Um, and, and they have 20 days worth of oxygen for three people. They've gone too far. They're 12 hours into their operation. They can't turn back. There was some fuel damage done in the spacey thing during takeoff as well. There was a spacey accident. And um, they have to make a decision. Michael really them... made a shite of the, uh, of the spacecraft, didn't he? <laughs> well, obviously, he's the one that should go. Well, that's why, why the film's quite interesting. There's one character who basically says that. <laughs> and um, they have to make a decision if one of them must die or all of them. Mm. Um, and whether they're going to tell Michael or how they're going to make that happen. Um, and, you know, there's a very little room for margins of error either because they're losing fuel and uh, clean air by the load. And they are still assessing um, what how much damage has been done. So... You know, it's, some of them just feel that they should get rid of Michael pretty much as soon as possible. Anna Kendrick's character questions why his life, why their lives are more valuable than his because they're the crew and whether that is enough of a case to take somebody else's life. Um, so they all respond to the situation in different ways. And I liked that about it, you know. It's, it's a filmmaker by the name of Joe Penna and I really want to see more work from him. Um, he made a film a few years ago which was quite loved but i i didn't see it i have to be honest it's called arctic and it starred um mads mickelson as a trapped arctic explorer so he is obviously into these kind of you know singular survival tales um it's a slow burner this one it's very character driven um and the pace is occasionally frustrating at times i'm not gonna lie it is very slow and i don't know if the power of storytelling is there to sustain that pace but for me, it had a lot of rewards, you know. Um, I found it really immersive. I found that scene where he comes to at first um, really special, actually. And the characters feel properly human as well, Sean. That's what I liked about them. Mm. These aren't um, all sciencey people saying long sentences that we don't understand to each other. These are very real people who are quite afraid, quite spooked uh, during takeoff, even for all their training when, they, when it starts to go wrong. Um, so there is that sense of um, these are real people, people you can relate to crucially, which we don't get enough maybe in sci-fi dramas. Um, and maybe why the likes of Ripley is so beloved, you know, yeah. uh, it's it's special when it does happen. And I think the casting is is key there. Tony Collette, as I say, a, a, a great actor, having the time for life at the moment um, with films like Hereditary in the last couple of years as well. Just a great career run from her. And yeah, it gets bogged down you will compare it negatively with the likes of Gravity or First Man or even Apollo 13, um, mm. that kind of tried to, you know, moral decisions and, and quick thinking needed to save lives. Um, of course, they try and do something completely barmy. That would be if you've ever seen a space, um, another space movie, you know, there's something course, mad yeah. science experiment involved. And of course, there is, uh, you know, some great exciting scenes when, when various characters opt to leave the spaceship as well, because you're not in the spaceship without coming out of the spaceship. That's the rules of movies. Of course, that um, has to happen. Uh, Peter yeah, says he, he watched that last night. He said it was OK, but the, uh, the ending was a bit meh. Is it a bit meh? Yeah, I won't go into the ending. It's a little, it's a little bit of an open-ended ending, I think. And uh, yeah, for that reason, yeah, I, it did lose me towards the end. This, but I did like the setup. I did like the performances. 
Um, you know, it's I, I really enjoyed it in a three star kind of way, I suppose, is what I yeah, would say. That's fair enough. And a CDRA yeah. stands for Carbon Dioxide Removal Assemblies. Uh, that's the system that works to remove carbon dioxide from the cabin air, allowing for an environmentally safe crew cabin, uh, according to NASA. Uh, that's that's uh, what I said, Sean. That's exactly what you said. I just wanted to repeat <laughs> it in case people missed it the first time. Uh, one texter says, unless it's any of the alien movies, then I don't want to know. Uh, Pat says, I'm very partial to a space sci-fi film, but where the hell are the aliens? It's like now they've confirmed real-life UFOs, aliens have gone out of fashion in Hollywood. Is that fair to say, Esther? Like, a- aliens are like yesterday's actors? I don't think so. There was a really good uh, sci-fi... The name's gone for me now. There was a really good sci-fi horror just a couple of years ago that had... um, They were carrying out experiments on cells and the they, it broke out of the, the glass jars and became very spooky aliens Yeah, um, back on Earth. I just can't remember the name of it. Uh, maybe maybe not as much in the more cerebral films, maybe in the kind of sci-fi slash horror genre you yeah. find the aliens more knocking yeah. around more there. Yeah, not so much. Uh, well, one texter says Space Jam is a good shout for a silly space movie, but the new sequel looks absolutely pants. Fanula, did you know there's going to be a sequel? Yes, and it's uh, LeBron James uh, in the lead. I will be watching, but I would be inclined to agree with the texture that it's probably going to be not good, but it's a nostalgia thing. It's a money grab thing. I will be in line when hopefully cinemas are open and I will be pushing children out of the way to be front row. But whether it'll be any good, probably not. OK, well, we'll uh, we'll, we'll do the show that week from your prison cell uh, the, <laughs> for, for abusing children. Uh, now, I, 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 we mentioned already, Aston mentioned already, obviously the Oscars are coming this weekend. I didn't know this. Did they publish people's votes or, or at least their comments? Yeah, this was something that I didn't know was a thing either, but apparently it is every year. Like, there's a tradition where they have a member from the Academy's, like, uh, producer branch, and they do a thing with The Hollywood Reporter where they anonymously, like, give their final Oscar ballot. So it's usually, like, very, very cautingly honest. So this person did the same this year, and, like, some of the comments are quite funny um like this person went in on mank said mank was really boring indulgent too clever for its own good um but said that they loved david fincher as a filmmaker but just said that this shouldn't win and neither should oldman he's in the movie should not win for best actor um because he won in 2018 and the film uh, which cost 25 million dollars it's not great yeah. uh, also said amanda seafried is not winner level and totally fine which is absolutely <laughs> biting you never want to be described as fine um was more complimentary of minari said it was beautiful but did call it excruciatingly slow um seems to think that in for the uh best actor they think uh best actors i should say they think glenn close is going to get it for hillbilly elegy okay um for like a kind of more of a legacy kind of win but the person themselves voted for Maria Bakalova from Borat's subsequent movie film Um, so some very interesting takes and I'd be kind of inclined to agree about the Glenn Close thing I feel like they're just going to give it to her even though that movie was terrible and she was like it was a caricature I don't know what Esther thinks or anyone else who's watched it but I think they'll just give it to her because it's like it's Glenn Close you know yeah, it's interesting though that people, even the people who are voting on the Oscars are saying, I'm going to vote for movie X or actor X, whilst thinking, ah, well, they're going to give it to somebody else anyway. That's uh, uh, that's so interesting. Really. Exactly. It's so yeah. like, it's just, it's, oh, it's, it's a uh, mind, uh, mind numbing to be honest, but yeah. yeah. Fanola, that was fine. 
You are listening to the Moncrief <laughs> Show on News Talk. Uh, we have to take a break. One more movie, one more wine after this. Esther Jean and Fanola are still with us uh, for Movies and Booze. Somebody's texted in uh, to ask uh, this question. Having a lovely tapas dinner with some friends in the garden tomorrow, would Esther be able to recommend a fabulous Tempranillo for us? Uh, David wants to know. I'll be honest with you, David. No, she wouldn't have a clue. But Jean might. Uh, uh, Jean, uh, fabulous Tempranillo. Well, I mean, Tempranillo is the main grape used in the production of Rioja. So, and it's probably one of the most, Ireland's most favourite wines. Um, do you know, I, I, Ireland is actually, I think, globally the fifth or sixth biggest market in the world for wines from Rioja. I mean, that's an incredible figure. We absolutely adore it. But yeah, if you're looking for good Tempranillo, or you could go to um, Portugal and uh, get an Aragonese from um, um, Esperau, uh, which is uh, another very good Portuguese winery. Um, and that's actually Tempranillo, but it's, in, in Portugal they call it a different name. So there you are. That, there's two, two recommendations. Okay. And uh, you can, while we have you there, sure, you might as well tell us about our second wine today. Yeah. Can I just do a quick congratulations as well? The uh, National Off-Licence Association had the Off-Licence of the Year Awards uh, this week, which was all virtual. It was all online. And Malloy's in the Liberties, Dublin 8, were the winner. And big congratulations to them. It's a great achievement and it's actually their first time to win. So well done to everybody there okay so congratulations okay we're going to go on to uh, uh the next wine which is the red wine which is a merlot and it's the vineyard merlot and it's exclusive again to lidl and you'll get it in all the lidl stores nationwide 4.99 very good price and this wine is also produced in hungary similar to the white wine that we had earlier on and it also has a low abv it's just 12 percent alcohol by volume so you know again if you're watching your alcohol intake that's a, a lower alcohol red wine because most al- reds tend to start at about 12.5 and go upwards and um, but anyway this is made from merlot now merlot is one of the two big red grapes you'll find from bordeaux where it's usually blended with cabernet sauvignon Merlot is actually a very early ripening grape. Of all the red grapes, it's probably the one that ripens the earliest. And as a result, it's pro- it's the one that has the least amount of tannin. It's um, a very soft, you know, in terms of tannin, it's probably the lowest. So anybody who's kind of moving from red, white, drinking white wine, and they, they want to start drinking red wine and they don't really like tannin, they want to kind of find something that's maybe a bit more approachable, go for a Merlot because it really is, it's probably one of the most approachable reds. Now, this one is actually very light in style and very summery in terms of its drinkability. Uh, The colour is actually quite pale and light as well. And um, it's, you know, it's sort of, again, what I would say is this is really a summery wine, right? Um, as I say, Merlot was very fashionable in the 90s. It's starting to make a little bit of a comeback now. Um, it's an easy grape to grow. That's why winemakers used to love it. Um, it's early budding, early ripening. You know, it, it does exactly what it says on the tin. But what I love about this is, this is something you could actually also serve chilled. And that's the thing that people like to do in the summer, chilled red wine. Like, don't be afraid of it. There's quite a lot in France. It's done all the time, um, particularly um, like if you, if you in the Loire, where they make Cabernet Franc, they tend to chill the red wines. So this one would stand up to being chilled as well, um, particularly if it, if, if, if it gets hot later on in the summer. Um, it's got tons of ripe, soft fruit. Um, kind of, it, it, it's um, it's not so much plums. It's it, it's more cherry fruit. Mm. Um, very drinkable, 
it'll go. I mean, if you if you like sticky barbecue, spare ribs, or burgers with a nice sauce, you know, it, it'll pretty well go with everything. And it, it even will go with fish or chicken as well because it's a very light style of red wine. So yeah, the Vineyard Merlot um, nationwide in Lidl for ninety nine. Okie dokie, one for the vegan in the family. Uh, and uh, was the the movie you were thinking of, Esther? Was the Alien in the Jar one? Was that Life? Yes, that's the very one. Thank you. That's the one. That's the one. Right, we might as well uh, move on to Black Bear then, our second movie today. Here's a clip. I think I'm into traditional gender roles. Yeah. No, I really, I mean that. I don't know. I can't say a part of me doesn't want a man to just come along and take care of everything. Doesn't that kind of contradict your entire life? What about your films? Don't you think they're feminist? I don't think about them one way or the other. You don't think about them? How can you make something if you never think about it? Some sometimes when you're you know making something, you're not conscious. I'm talking to her. There you go. Uh, that's uh, Black Bear there. So so the premise is what, Esther? Well, these two, um, Sean. If you thought Malcolm and Marie were um, argumentative. Wait to meet the couple who oh, run the no. guest house here. <laughs> um, played by uh, Christopher Abbott. Uh, he's Gabe and his girlfriend is Blair. She's pregnant and played by Sarah Gaddon. Um, they're upgrading this property with the, cl- with the idea of um, turning it into a guest house. So they kind of let friends of friends stay there to kind of trial all that. Um, so or- uh, Alison is played by Aubrey Plaza and she is... Um, an actress and a writer who's, you know, going through a dearth of creativity, a bit of a drought. Um, so the idea is to go to this house and see if she can get her creative juices going again. Um, you know, this is this is very clever in some ways, but I know some people are going to hate it as well. I would I would just say that um, she goes to the house. Um, she they're all, they're arty as well. He's a musician and she's a dancer. And something's off in the storytelling from the very beginning, because when the two female characters meet each other, the first thing one of them says to the other is you're so pretty. And then she replies, you are, too. And it's kind of like that's not something you'd say to someone you've just met, you know, um, and you realize what you're watching is a, a film script. It's a movie within a movie. Um, it's very meta. So what oh, happens about, and it's in the trailer. So, you know, it's mm, in the trailer. Okay. So the reveal is there. Um, so you think you're watching this slightly dialed up drama, um, you know, between the, this couple are imploding and, and he fancies the new arrival and um, there's a lot of drama. And then about 45 minutes mm. in, we are given a totally different perspective. We're on a film set, basically. Um, and that first part of the film is called The Bear in the Boathouse. Um, and then, or The Bear on the Road, at least, the second part is called The Bear in the Boathouse. And you realise you're watching the same people play very different characters to what was essentially a film in the start at the start of the film. So it takes a complete left-hand turn and goes full meta. Um, and they're, they're in the house. They're, they're, you know, they're wearing the same clothes, but they're behaving as totally different characters. Um, and Blair and Alison are now a couple in this take. Um, and he's Blair's directing her in the film, Alison, but he's pretending to have an affair with Geb in order to provoke her into giving the best performance of her life. Um, and yeah, actually, there's she's given a piece of direction, Aubrey Plaza, at one stage. Um, 
that says break down and give the best performance that anyone has ever seen ever. That's an actual director note. Um, <laughs> and she does. <laughs> so this is, you know, I it's never less than intriguing and watchable. You will be going straight to Google following the, the end of the film. Um, is it a film within a film? Is it having a go at the filmmaking process? Is it about what you need to go through to be a creative person or create art? I don't really know, Sean. You know, I, I was just kind of intrigued with it all. It's, um, I think it's just meta for the sake of being meta, but I was kind of okay with that. It, there's a lot of clever little satirical ideas in there. Um, and at one stage, a character screams at him, um, now I'm wondering what kind of mind games you're playing with me. To which I said, amen to that, because yeah. I don't really know what's going on here, but I'm I'm being quite entertained. Some people will hate it, though. Um, I think if you're very into your American indie films, uh, you will get on well with it. But it's out there even on that level, you know. OK, all right. Uh, it sounds kind of intriguing, maybe not necessarily yeah. entertaining, but uh, intriguing nonetheless. Um, and yeah. finally, Fanula, this is I don't know how I feel about this, because we have spoken before about Sharon Stone has said that like her experience on Basic Instinct wasn't that happy. She felt pressurised to do something, uh, uh, to do various things, one of which is the obvious thing that she did on, on Basic Instinct. Now they're reconstructing the movie in 4K so you can blow that sucker up as much as you want. Yes, uh, they spent much of last year in 2019 uh, restoring from the original 35mm negative and uh, with the director himself uh, with some bonus material so like I don't know if this is like an extended cut or whatever um, but to coincide with it as well there's going to be a documentary with it as well which could be interesting I'm not sure if this is to like maybe intervene with Sharon Stone's press tour with her um, with her book or whatever but yeah it's a one-off documentary it's called Basic Instinct Sex Death and Stone um, it premiered on French TV last year um, so we'll probably get it over here at some stage but it's like exclusive interviews, personal anecdotes um, with Verhoeven, the director, Stone, Douglas, um, other people involved. Um, it it will be interesting. And I, and I guarantee whenever this comes out, like we'll be having this conversation again and there will be a debate around it. I don't think Sharon herself has made a comment about it since, but I'd imagine she will. Um, I can't say it's something that I'll be seeking out uh, with great enthusiasm to watch, I think. Yeah, but the, this 4K version is now a longer version. This is the kind of Verhoeven's director's cut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like loads of other bits and bobs and scenes or whatever else. Like you'd wonder how much further he he could take it or did take it. Like if you consider what's in it, like what didn't make the cut. Yeah, um, so I doubt I mean, if it's people like, sitting around having conversations over a nice cup of tea. Yeah, I doubt that somehow, yeah. I'm sh- like, definitely maybe one for cinephiles and like absolute, like really into this kind of sort of thing. Not really sure if it's something I'll be delving into just purely based on what she said previous about her experience on set. Yeah, cinephiles are people who like to spell cum, C-U-M. Uh, thank you to Esther McCarthy, Jean Smollin and Fanula Jones. Uh, that's our lot uh, for today on the show. Kieran's up next on News Talk. He'll also be obviously announcing who won that five grand today. Our production team today, Aidan McKelvey, Michael Quilligan and Claire Collins. We'll talk to you on Monday at two o'clock. See you then. Movies and booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.